We're going to continue a teaching series that we've been doing. And we've been looking at what it means for us to be the kind of people who consider what it means to care for this thing we call the soul. And so at a time of year when we're thinking maybe of being healthier, maybe you've um, broken your New Year's resolutions already, but um, you know, a time of year where we're thinking of being healthier, maybe eating more healthily or getting fit, all those sorts of things. I, I, I'm, I'm in full sway on that. And, um, but one thing we might not consider or have considered is this thing uh, we, we call the soul. The soul is often a, a neglected part of who we are, our personhood. We, we don't go around thinking about how's my soul. Uh, we don't often think about how do I care for my soul. That's, that could be like a, a little bit of a foreign kind of concept to us. And so we, we started a few weeks ago just asking the question, really simple question, what is the soul? What is the soul? And um, one author's definition, a guy called Dallas Willard, he says this. He says, what is running your life at any given moment is your soul. It's not external circumstances or your thoughts or your intentions or even your feelings, but it's your soul. The soul is the aspect of your whole being that correlates, integrates, and enlivens everything going on in the various dimensions of the self. The soul is the life center of human beings. And so the basic definition of a soul is that it's it's the thing that makes you you you, okay? It's the thing that makes me who I am. Now, we, we can have a concept of the soul, which is, is kind of like this ghostly apparition of ourselves that kind of lives on after we die. Uh, we, we see that in um, Looney Tunes cartoons, you know, where Daffy Duck gets hit and he dies, and uh, this apparition of Daffy Duck leaves his body with wings and he's playing a harp, you know, and, and we kind of we kind of see that as a as a soul. But the, the soul is, is actually the thing that makes you you. It's the thing that integrates to make you a person. It's where we discover our personhood. And we've also been thinking about how in the ancient world they thought about personhood. And uh, we, we talked about the anatomy of the soul. And so we had this diagram which should appear here. And this diagram really represents the different dimensions of who we are as people that, that make up the soul. So the first would be the will. So the will is our ability to make choices. And, and, and the will is actually something that makes human beings fairly distinctive from the rest of creation, that we have, in, in some limited capacity, the free will to make choice. And so... Um, Often the scriptures, when it addresses the will, it's talking about the heart or the spirit of a person. It's all talking about this this core thing at the center of us, which we're we're defining as the will. The next circle would be the mind. And the mind refers to our thoughts and our feelings. We, We like to think in our superior 21st century mindset, that we are rational beings, but we're not, are we? Um, When it comes to the mind, our thoughts and our feelings are really intertwined. And so everything that we, we experience, our memories, our conscience, our values, how we express those values, how we, um, 
experience emotion, whether it's joy or peace or anger, they're all taking place in the mind. And as we looked at, the mind can often play tricks on us. We're not always rational. We're not always thinking correctly. Uh, it doesn't always operate logically. Um, the mind can cause us to think things that completely misrepresent what is actually going on. And so there's some dangers there with the mind. And then there's the body. And the body is where the appetites and habits take place. Now the body is meant to be subject to the mind and the will, but often it isn't. Uh, it doesn't work that way. Sometimes the body can, can, can take over. And, um, and we become enslaved to, to certain things. This is where addictions lie. They lie in our bodies. And that's where they, 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 they take place. And it's our body taking over, um, uh, overcoming our, our will. And then the last ring of our circle was the soul. And, 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 and the reason why it's the last ring is because it integrates all those other parts to make a person. So we're a will, we're a mind, we're a body, but we're in a single person. And, and so the, the, the soul is made to create harmony uh, in, and peace, to bring peace with ourselves, with each other, and ultimately with God. And so the soul is a, this really important part of us. It's, it's really important, but we often neglect it and, and don't consider it. Dallas Willard again, he says, the soul is the capacity to integrate all the parts into a single whole life. And so we've been thinking about what it means to have an integrated soul, okay? Um, that life goes well when the will and the mind and the body are, are in sync. How many of us have had moments where we think, I just feel like I'm falling apart at the seams? Um, I'm just cracking up. Could that be us diagnosing a disintegrated soul? That when certain parts of our personhood aren't working right. And so we've just been thinking about how do we care for this thing so that we can do, we can do life well? How can we live in harmony in such a way? You see, the, the will, I don't know if you've noticed this, your will is good at making big choices. Okay, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna live here. Or I'm gonna go to this church. Or I'm gonna do these exciting things. Often the will gets overcome with the smaller things, doesn't it? And it, it, it becomes subjected to, to, to the body. I think that's why Jesus said, he said, he said this, the spirit is willing. Okay, the spirit is willing. The, the, the will, the heart of a person desires to do the right thing. Okay, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You see that our, our bodies, the flesh has this, has this inbuilt weakness to try and overcome what it is we might desire to do. So we might desire to live and orientate ourselves a certain way, but our bodies are so weak sometimes that they, 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 they succumb to things that we would rather not do. That are contrary. Uh, to our will. So as we've been looking at how do we care for this precious thing we call the soul, um, last week we began by thinking about how do we find rest for our soul. 
You know, in a world that runs at about 300 miles an hour, how do we find rest in the midst of hurry? You know, when Jesus said, come to me, all of you are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest for your soul. And so we've just been exploring what that was was like. And the challenge last week was to just have a moment in your week, just an hour, to practice the discipline of solitude. And some of you have done that, I know, because you emailed me. Uh, the rest of you can feel bad. Um, but all of you who have taken up that challenge have all said, I need this to be part of my life. I need these moments of solitude just to, just to come out of the rat race and, and recharge and re-energize and, and hear what it is that Jesus has to say to me. And so I'd encourage you, if you, you didn't have a chance to do that, then have a go. Just carve an hour out of all the hours in the week that you've got. Carve, set an hour aside just for solitude. Someone asked me, do you play music? I was like, no, that's not solitude. That's music time. Solitude, just an hour of nothing, just you and God. If you've missed any of the talks, incidentally, you can download on the podcast. I'd encourage you to, to do that if you can. So this week, we're going to shift gear a little bit and talk about something else in terms of caring for our souls. And I want to think about what it means to have contentment. What does it mean to have a contented soul? Now, the word contentment comes from the Latin, which means to be satisfied. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? I'm, I'm content. I'm satisfied. I've got all that I want. Interestingly, the writers of the scriptures, when they... When they talk about the soul, often the soul doesn't really sound very contented. I don't know if you've, you've noticed that. Why so downcast, oh my soul? You know, all these different parts of the scriptures where the soul is in pain. Now the Hebrew word for soul is this word nephish. Can you, can you say that? Nephish. You know Hebrew. There you go. Um, but there's a Hebrew word for the soul, nephish. And um, this, this word nephish appears in the Old Testament continually. And it descri- it's, a, it's a descriptive word. It talks about wanting or craving for something. And, and many times in the scriptures, when uh, that word nephish is translated into English, we, we translate that soul. Okay, that's what, that's what we do. And, um, but other times, it can also mean the appetite, the mouth, or the stomach. It's interesting, isn't it? That this word we use for soul can also mean those sorts of things. So one example in scripture would be Proverbs 13, 25. It says, the righteous man has enough to satisfy his appetite, but the stomach of the wicked is in need. So the word appetite there is that word nephish, okay? Uh, the word that we would use for soul in other places. So the soul is hungry to be filled, to be satisfied, to, to be content. One author, John Ortberg, he, he says this, the paradox of the soul is that it's incapable of satisfying itself, but it's also incapable of living without satisfaction. 
See, we were made to have souls that are satisfied. We were made to be content. Psalm 63 says, Because your love is better than life, my soul will be satisfied with the richest of food. Again, that language of hunger and being filled and all those sorts of things. See, our our soul will only find real satisfaction and, and that satisfaction comes from God. It comes from him. But the problem is, we have a tendency to look elsewhere, don't we? We have a tendency to, to look to lots of other things to, to be satisfied. One of the New Testament writers was a, a guy called the Apostle Paul. Uh, I'm sure many of you would have heard that name. And he originally was a guy called Saul who persecuted the church. He he killed Christians for fun. That's, that's what he did. And then he has this encounter with Jesus and he's dramatically converted and he becomes like the leading character in the New Testament, um, other than Jesus. Um, he becomes this leading character who, who goes and just starts hundreds of churches across the Mediterranean. And uh, about 10 years into this mission, he's arrested in Rome. And Rome didn't like Christians at the time. And there was an emperor, Nero. Uh, he, he, he didn't like all these Christians that were popping up. So what, what he would do, he would capture Christians, he would string them up in his garden and set fire to them to illuminate the garden. That's, that's pretty interesting, isn't it? And, um, and, 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 and so Paul is captured, he's imprisoned, and in, in many ways it's game over. It's, it's mission over. There's no more church planting, Paul, because you're in prison and likely you're going to be put on a stake and burnt. That's likely what's going to be happening. And so, um, what can Paul do? What can he do? And uh, the one thing that he, he does do when he's in this position is he, he begins to write some letters. And he writes letters to a number of churches whilst he's in prison. And uh, one of the letters he writes is to a church in Philippi. So if you've got a, if you've got a Bible, why don't you turn to Philippians chapter 4. I want to just read a familiar passage, particularly when we're talking about contentment. Philippians 4.10, he says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord... That at last you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying that because I, I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. So this is a fairly familiar passage when talking about contentment. It's like one of those go-to passages when you're talking about contentment. And, um, but what can, we, what can we get from this afresh today? What, what are some of the things that we can pull out of this together? Well, first of all, Paul says, I have learnt the secret of being content. And uh, he, Paul is using a really interesting word here. I, I like these things. I like these little details. Paul is using a really 
interesting word. It's, uh, it's a Greek word, which is mueu, mueu, and uh, which means he's learnt the secret. That's what it means. It, and um, this word is never used anywhere else in the scriptures. Okay, It's a, a unique word for this passage and a very intentional word. You know, like when, when you're having a conversation with someone and someone speaks to you and then they just use a really long word and you just think, why did you say that? Uh, it's kind of like that, what he's doing here. He's using this word out of context. I've learned the secret of. Why, why is he saying that? Interestingly, this word was used around sex. Not sex, sects. <laughs> Whew. We'll do that talk another time. But um, it was used in like cults, you know, people who joined secret societies. A bit like Ken Willis getting his vineyard shoes. It was, it was like an initiation, okay? You know, like, um, you know, like these places where you have to do funny handshakes or um, you have to recite something, okay? Uh, there was lots of these groups that existed at this time, and... Um, if someone went through this initiation process, it was said they had learned the secrets. They'd learned the secrets. So why would Paul use that word? Why, why would he do that? Well, I, th- I think he's, he's doing this. He's, saying, he's essentially saying something provocative. He's, he's trying to get people's attention. He says, and basically he's saying, is, I've been initiated in the cult of contentment. I've been schooled as a student in the school of satisfaction. I have this secret knowledge available to everyone, but not everyone knows it. I've learned something. I've learned it's possible whether I'm hungry or whether I've got plenty or whether, whether I've got nothing or whether I've got much. I've learned that I can still be content. The other thing that we learn from this is that Paul says he's learnt to be content. So last week we talked about jumping out of the rat race, jumping out of what it means to be hurried. But this week it's all about learning to be content. And that's hard, isn't it? Because our default, if we're really honest, is discontentment. If we're really honest, we're often discontented. Now, there is a good form of discontentment, okay? You know, you can have a holy or righteous discontentment. Maybe God highlights a a justice issue to you or something that isn't right, and you feel discontent about that situation, and it propels you to do something, okay? That, That would be a positive form of discontentment, but there is a negative form of discontentment. You see, Contentment isn't simply getting everything you want. It isn't getting the sort of gratification for every heart's desire. Contentment, in the way that Paul's talking about it here, is a skill. It's, it's a learned behavior. It's a, it's a, it's a mindset. It's, it's, it's doing life in a different kind of way. And so, our default is discontentment, isn't it? Our default is to, to not be satisfied with our lot. We, we often get envious of 
others. And it comes in different forms. We can have uh, material or financial discontentment, can't we? Um, you know, we think we're happy um, with, with, with what we have until we see what other people have got. You know, I'm really happy with this phone, but oh, no, they've got that phone. Um, you know, we, 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 we're really happy with our well-sized, practical family car until we see our work colleague's nice little sporty number. And so we can have this kind of discontentment going through us. Or, you know, that friend who just posts all their holiday pictures on Facebook. They're on, they're on holiday again. I'm stuck in the office, working my teeth to the bone. I still can't afford to go on holiday. You know, we can have those kinds of feelings, can't we? Or we can have relational discontentment. Or we could call it social media envy. Um, you know, where uh, everybody seems to be having fun except me. And you see your friend, they post up a nice picture of their birthday, and you're like, oh, look, that friend's there, that friend's there, that friend's there. I'm not there. Um, or maybe you're going through a difficult time relationally with somebody. Maybe it's your marriage. And you see other marriages that are thriving, and you're just like, why can't that be me? Why can't that be me? And then the circumstantial discontentment. Maybe you wish you were thinner, taller, stronger. You know, have you ever looked at someone else's life and thought, if, if, that, if I was them, everything just would, would just be a-okay? Any of us done that? No, you're all liars. <laughs> but the problem is, the longer we pine for what everyone else has, often we miss what we've already been given. We miss what's already ours. If we want to live someone else's life, we can't actually live the life that's been given to us. You see, the only way we see all the unique things God has given us, the way he's made us, what he's called us to be and do, the only way we can ever begin to do that is, is, is to have a soul that is satisfied. To have a soul that's satisfied with what we have. So we all know what it means to be discontent. But what can we do to find contentment? What can we actually do to be content with what we have? Um, How can we learn this secret that Paul talks about? Well, in verse 13, he says, I can do all this through him who gives me strength. And you could think, well, hold on a minute, Paul, you're in prison. You're in prison. Your life's work has come to an end. You you know, all the dreams that you had for the next 20, 30 years, it's not going to happen because you're probably going to be burnt at the stake. It's not going to happen. Life is over. And maybe you're in a place right now where you think, you think like that. You think life's over. It's game over. I've tried all these things and it hasn't worked and I really wanted these things to happen, but it's not going to happen. It's the end. There's nothing I can do. But the challenge of this passage is, is that we can find contentment and we can find it through him who gives us strength. Him who gives us strength. 
But if you're anything like me, this needs to be practical, doesn't it? We need to do something practical because that's the way we're wired. And, and so in one sense, we could just wait around and say, okay, bring on the strength. Um, but actually, I think we are called to do something in, in partnership with Jesus. I think we're called to do something that, that helps us discover this strength that he, he gives. And uh, we're to cooperate with him and the spirit of God in our lives. And I think the only way we really truly find what he's talking about is to learn to practice gratitude. Learn to be thankful. If there's, if there's one habit that develops contentment in our soul, it's, it's this habit of gratitude. The Hebrew word for gratitude is, means recognizing the good. Recognizing the good. John Altbook says, the fundamental mindset of a life of the soul is gratitude. Gratitude, learning to be thankful. Uh, a group of doctors did a study a number of years ago where they took the 300 random people and they split them into three groups and they gave them each a different task. And so one group of people, they said, what we want you to do at the end of your day, keep a diary, keep a journal, and we just want you to write all the things that were positive about your day, the things that you were thankful for, that you were grateful for, you're really pleased they happened, and just begin to write them down and acknowledge those things. And then they said to the second group of people, we want you to just focus on all the things that ticked you off, okay? All the things that made you a little bit grumpy, all the things that were wrong with the world in that day, just write them down. And then they said to the third group, you can do what you want, okay? You can journal whatever you want. So one of you has a gratitude journal, one of you has a, a grumpy journal, and the other one can, can, can do what they like. And what they, what they found was, was the ones who wrote gratitude, the ones who were thankful, had a more positive experience, okay? They had a healthier ex- outcome, and, and, they, and they discovered those who were more grateful, those who were expressing their gratitude in this way, they, they slept better, they, um, they worked more productively, and, and life overall just seemed much better. Sometimes, you know, in order to experience something, we, we, we have to exper- express it, don't we? We have to express it in some way. So if we're, if we're going to express gratitude, if we're going to be uh, people who are grateful, like it's one thing to feel grateful, isn't it? So, you know, someone in your life could do something for you, which you, you really appreciate, but, but we often neglect to even acknowledge it, don't we? And so, you know, my wife lovingly does our, cooks our dinner every night, um, and we're really grateful, but probably forget to say thank you quite a lot. So it's one thing to to be grateful. It's another thing to actually express gratitude. It's another thing to express it. And, and, and one could say that unexpressed gratitude is ingratitude. In Luke 17, Jesus heals 10 lepers, okay? He heals these 10 lepers and they, they, they all scarper. Well, at least nine of them do. But one goes back to Jesus 
and expresses his thanks. He, he thanks Jesus. Now, I'm sure if we tracked down the other nine and said, hey, guys, are you not grateful what Jesus did? They'd be like, yeah, of course we are. You know, we had flaky skin, you know, socially unacceptable. God has done some amazing things. Of course we're grateful. But it was only the one who went back and showed their appreciation. I think we need to be like the one, don't we? We need to learn to express what it is we're thankful for. But as we attempt to do that, there will be a couple of things that come as roadblocks. There will be a couple of things that will come against us. And the, and the, first, the first thing that kills gratitude or our expression of gratitude is complaining. Or what the Bible calls grumbling. Okay? Yeah, a little earlier on in Philippians chapter 2, Paul instructs this, this is to do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Now that's easier said than done, isn't it? Because Paul doesn't know what your other half is like. Uh, and he doesn't know what your boss is like at all. You know, and uh, he doesn't know the situations that you're in. And, um, you know, I, I, I just like to have a little moan now and again, if I'm honest. You know, uh, I like to grumble about that person uh, by the photocopier. And, um, and, and so we have this, this tendency, don't we, to be grumbly. But what does it say? It says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do you want to argue about that? Do everything without grumbling or arguing. Have you ever met people who really just grumble? Are they, are they on your top of the list of people you hang out with? Mm, are they? And maybe if you don't have any wrong hanging out with you, I'm just trying to tell you something. But, um, <laughs> but if we're a grumbly person, we have the tendency of sucking the life out of things, don't we? And, 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 and everything just feels a little bit negative. And so complaining can, can, can really beat down a heart of, of gratitude. The other thing that can rob gratitude is comparison. Comparing ourselves to others. You know, if I only looked like that person, if I only had their clothes, if I had their car, their house, if my life was just like theirs, everything would be fine. Comparison is often expressed as envy. We're envious of what other people have. And an envy can be explained this way. It says, resenting God's goodness in someone else's life whilst ignoring God's goodness in your own. Resenting God's goodness in someone else's life while ignoring God's goodness in your own. Now in Exodus chapter 20, the Ten Commandments have given. You know, we're all familiar with this, aren't we? We've all seen Charlton Heston and... Um, the Ten Commandments are given. And you might not have noticed this before, but the first nine commandments that can be broken are all observable. And what, what, what I mean by that is, um, if, you, if you were to break the, one of the first nine commandments, whether it's murder, 
or if you're going to build a statue to worship, or if you're going to steal, you can see it, okay? It can be observed. You know, if we suddenly erected a golden calf, you would notice, okay? But the 10th commandment is slightly different. The 10th commandment says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, or his male or female servants, or his ox, or his donkey, or his iPhone, or his BMW, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. You see, if someone's coveting, how do you know? How do you know? I could be having a little coveting party right now, and none of you know. None of you have got a clue. Why is this command so different? Well, you know, so some some rabbis and some teachers of the law actually believe the ten, tenth commandment was a reward. The tenth commandment was a reward. Now, stay with me, okay? You see, when 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 you're doing okay, um, when you live out those other nine commands, when you live as God has called you to live. You shall not cover. You're not going to want anything else that anyone else has got. You'll have everything that you need. You'll be content. Your soul will be satisfied. So we're going to have another challenge this week. Okay, last week's challenge. If you didn't do last week's challenge and have an hour of solitude, do that too. Okay? But we're going to have another challenge. And the, the first part of the challenge is, is I just want you to increase your expression of gratitude. Okay? So I just want you to learn that I'm going to express how grateful I am for the things that I have. And that might mean you need to email some people or fire them a little text or whatever, not now. Um, it might mean that you, you just have to express it more. You know, so when you're at Starbucks and you get handed your white mocha extra hot with cream, um, and you say thank you, rather than it just being this passive thank you, because that's what you say, but be really genuine about it. Thank you. I really appreciate the design of my coffee. <laughs> whatever it might be. That's what I'm going to do. Um, but so I just want you to up your game on gratitude, okay? Just learning to be grateful. But then the, there's another part, uh, uh, another challenge. And this one maybe can combine with some of the solitude. And that is learning to identify the things that cause discontent. Now, you might have a whole list, okay? But you might be able to just whittle it down to... One particular thing. Just learning to identify the things that cause discontent in your soul. The things that perhaps keep you awake at night. The things that, you know, when you're in your workplace, you really struggle with. The things when you're in social situations, you just, there's a sense of unrest. And just begin to identify those things because. They, those things could be at the root of what God wants to do next in your soul. They, those things could be really at the 
the, the, the missing ingredient in what God's trying to do. I know, maybe you have a discontentment about provision. Maybe you just really struggle with the idea of, will I have enough? My experience is, you'll probably be taken to your limits on that, if you really want to learn to be content in that place. But sometimes we have to go really, really far in in order to know what it really means to be content in any situation. It's a real challenge, isn't it? It's really hard. So why don't we, why don't we stand and we're going to pray.